chapter 49 this evening, Sunday night, through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. If you're with us tonight and you don't have a Bible, men are coming up the aisles with Bibles right now. And if you just wave to them, they'll put one in your hand. You'll be fairly lost without one on Sunday nights. And, um, and if you don't own a Bible, please make that Bible a gift uh, from the Lord to you this evening. As we begin here in uh, verse 7 of chapter 49, having completed verse 6 uh, the previous time as we were in the book, we want to remember that chapters 46 through uh, 59 are a group of messages that are clustered uh, by the Holy Spirit to the end of uh, Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah and his prophecies. These were prophecies that he uh, spoke uh, concerning the nations that surrounded uh, Judah itself and either bordered it or were in the neighborhood uh, concerning the judgment that was going to come uh, upon them. And as we've seen in the last couple of weeks, there is in all of this judgment that God is meeting out, and he's using the Babylonian uh, empire in order to accomplish it, that it doesn't matter whether a, a nation, as is, is Judah did, rejected, uh, were in apostate related to the Lord and rejected the God of the Bible for all of their idols and stuff. They knew better. But even the nations that surrounded that were totally given over into paganism had no history with uh, the, the God of the Bible, it still doesn't make idolatry right. Uh, sin is sin, and it must be judged. And uh, so God uh, speaks against these various uh, kingdoms and his judgment against them. We've already seen his prophecy against Egypt and then the land of the Philistines, Moab, last week also Ammon. And next comes Edom, Damascus, and Babylon to close the book. Uh, chapter 49, verse 7. And against Edom, thus says uh, the Lord of hosts. The Edomites, uh, important to know, they were uh, related uh, by blood with uh, the Jewish people. The Edomites and the Israelites, they were descendants of uh, two brothers, twins, born to Isaac and Rebekah. Their names were famously Jacob and Esau. And uh, from Jacob came the 12 tribes of Israel, and from Esau uh, came uh, multiple uh, peoples, but one of them was uh, the Edomites, descendants of the older twin uh, Esau, who sold his uh, birthright, as you might remember, for a bowl of chili or a bowl of, of red stew. Now, in terms of the history between the Edomites and between uh, Judah and the, and the Jewish people, it was one of almost constant hostility. When the children of Israel left um, uh, Egypt and began their uh, journey toward the conquest of the promised land, the Edomites among others, but rose up against them and would not, not allow them to walk through their territory uh, in order to uh, journey toward uh, Canaan. All of this was after the patriarchs, uh, of course. And so all through their history, they were either active enemies against uh, Judah, against the Jewish people, or they even oftentimes sided with the enemies of of uh, the Jews, and, uh, but in, in the immediate context of the history here in, in verse 49, uh, Edom had joined with Judah in a, uh, and with the surrounding nations in kind of a confederation in, in hopes of resisting uh, Babylonian ex expansion into uh, their lands. Uh, Edom is located southeast of Judah uh, between the Dead Sea and the Gulf uh, of Aqaba. 
and uh, as God speaks to the Edomites, and he speaks to them at length. It's interesting that he, he gives the kind of space that he does to this, but he does. And the theme is that no mercy will be shown to the Edomites, and uh, God's judgment upon them is going to be final. It is going to be uh, complete. I think important to understand what we're going to read in just a moment is that when uh, Judah was uh, captured by Nebuchadnezzar, the Edomites then uh, took great joy in the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, they plundered all of uh, the countryside that was now left vulnerable by uh, the conquest, stealing everything that they could get their hands on. They delivered any Jewish uh, fugitives that were running away from uh, the Babylonians. They delivered them into Babylonian uh, captivity. And so, and then if anybody sought, any Jews sought uh, to flee from uh, Jerusalem, fleeing the Babylonian captivity into the area of Edomite, uh, Edom, the Edomites arrested the Jews and then handed them over to the Babylonians as uh, as well. And so, all of this horrible treatment of, of the Edomites towards the Jewish people, it's recorded in uh, the book of Obadiah, and this uh, sets kind of the understanding for the reason that God's judgment against them uh, was uh, so uh, severe. The underlying weakness of the Edomites was their hatred of the Jews and their persecution of the Jews. And uh, ultimately, it ends up uh, 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 with a response of God of judgment. It is the, the dumbest thing in the world for an individual or for a nation in the world uh, to oppose uh, Israel or to try and destroy the Jews. God still has a plan for the Jews. The covenant that God made with Abraham still uh, holds uh, fast all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. God said, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in all of the families, in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Uh, this uh, uh, great um, uh, kind of grouping together of all of the Islamic nations and so forth, despite all of their size, uh, numbering in the 1.3 billion or whatever they, their population is, I don't care what weapons they get. I don't care how great they begin, uh, they, uh, their uh, armies become. They will have no success at all of wiping out the Jewish people, and every single empire, every single nation that has tried to destroy the Jews and force God to stand behind the covenant that he has made with Abraham has ended up being uh, broken. You don't have to, when you read the newspaper, the one thing you never have to worry about is what's going to happen to the Jews. Uh, you also don't have to wonder what's going to happen to you and, and the kingdom of God. God's got a lot of promises covering all of that. doesn't mean the Jews are perfect people or that every decision that they make is right. But to make what uh, their enemies do to them and what they do as citizens of the world, moral equivalence is just uh, ignorance. And it is to fall under some kind of a spell that the devil seems to have for anyone that wants to have a hatred of the Jews. And it always ends up in the judgment and the destruction of the people who fall uh, under that spell. And so, in the ancient world, Edom 
uh, fell prey to that. And so we begin in verse 7. Against Edom, thus says the Lord of hosts, is wisdom no more in Taman? Has counsel perished from the prudent? Has her wisdom vanished? She was famous in the ancient world for her wisdom. When we looked at the God's judgment upon the Ammonites uh, last week, uh, earlier in this chapter, their great boast, their great source of pride was in their uh, material uh, wealth. And, uh, and that's what they were, you know, uh, thinking we're going to be safe from, uh, as it says there in verse 4, who trusted in her treasures. And so she trusted in her wealth. The Edomites trusted in terms of their security in the world, despite all of their idolatry, uh, in their wisdom. But there is no wisdom apart from God. And, uh, but that was what they were famous for in the ancient world. And God then uh, declares that the land is going to be utterly uh, destroyed and the people killed and the land plundered. Flee, turn back, dwell in the depths, O uh, inhabitants of Dedan. Dedan is, uh, constitutes, it, it is not a part of Edom. In the ancient world, it, it constituted a part of what we call Saudi Arabia today. But God is calling uh, those of Dedan that were in the area of Edom, get out of Edom. I'm going to judge it. Go back home. I don't care how much money you're making there. Get out of here for your own safety. For I will bring the calamity of Esau upon him the time that I will punish him. If grape, gather, if, if grape gatherers come to you, would they not leave some gleaning grapes? And if thieves came by night, would they not destroy until uh, they'd stolen enough? And in the ancient world, you would glean, harvest your uh, crops and so forth, your orchards, and you would always leave something. You wouldn't take every grape or every, uh, you, you know, uh, plum or whatever it might be. Some would be left. And then if a thief would break, it's rare that a thief breaks into a house, uh, no matter how sophisticated they might be. They never take everything from the house. They take what's valuable to them. And as much as they do take, you are left with something. Uh, but God said this judgment of his is going to be uh, worse than that. I have made, verse 19, Esau bare. I'm going to strip you clean. I have uncovered his secret places, and he shall not be able to hide himself. His descendants are plundered, his brethren and his neighbors, and he is no more. Leave your fatherless children, and I will preserve them, and let your widows trust in me. So uh, the Edomite military, the men are going to uh, suffer tremendous uh, loss in, uh, of life as a result of the judgment. But God, very interesting, verse 11, he encourages them, Jeremiah does, even as he tells them that this judgment is going to come, that uh, though you're going to die, leave your fatherless children uh, to me. I'll preserve them alive. I'll also take care of your widows. One of the things that this teaches us, and it's an important thing, is it teaches us that God's judgment, when he judges, it's, it's always measured. It's never just like he just blows up, you know, it's something he saw on TV or uh, some news he got, and then he just, 
you know, starts to throw fireballs at whatever it might be. Uh, his, he has, his anger is real, but it's a righteous anger. And so it's always very, very careful. He never oversteps his boundaries. And so here we see it on display. We've seen it elsewhere as we've gone uh, through the Old Testament. But he is going to judge uh, the men. But the, the orphans that are left, the widows that are left, he says, I will take care of them. And uh, an interesting promise to those that uh, he says, I'm going to judge, but I will take care of them uh, after the judgment. For thus says the Lord, behold, those whose cup was not to, uh, those whose judgment was not to drink the cup uh, of the cup have assuredly drunk. In the uh, ancient world and certainly in the Old Testament, the cup almost always refers to the judgment of God. So when it talks about nations drinking uh, the cup, it's referring to the fact that they are drinking God's judgment and they're drinking it all the way down uh, to, you know, the fullness of the cup. So often it refers to is an indication that they will incur the full judgment of God. This is interesting in terms of insight into the New Testament when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before his crucifixion. And you remember one of the prayers that he prayed to the Father. He said, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. What was he talking about with that cup? It wasn't just the suffering that he was going to experience in the scourging and then dying upon the cross the next day. More significant than all of it to him was that he was going to bear the judgment of God for our sins upon that cross. And, uh, and so that's what he was speaking about, the judgment of God uh, represented in the cup. Uh, God goes further to speak to uh, those of Edom, and are you the one who will, uh, will altogether go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished, but you shall surely drink of it. For I have sworn by myself, says the Lord, that Basra, one of the major cities of Edom, shall become a desolation, a reproach, a waste, and a curse, and all of its cities shall be uh, perpetual uh, wastes. And I have heard a message from the Lord, and an ambassador has been sent to the nations, gather together, come against her, and rise up to battle. For indeed, I will make you small among the nations, despised among men. Your fierceness has deceived you, the pride of your heart. They were known in the ancient world for uh, the bravery of their military. And God said, you've gotten cocky, you've gotten proud, you've got this great reputation for having a great military. That may work in the nations that surround you. They will have no effect in uh, fending off a judgment uh, from God. Uh, to pick a battle or to pick a fight with God is to pick a, ba a battle and a fight that we have no hope of, uh, of winning. And, and so he said, uh, for indeed I will make you small among the, again, verse 15, make you small among the nations, despised among men. Your fierceness has deceived you, the pride of your heart. O you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, who hold the height of the hill, though you make your nest as high as an eagle, uh, I will bring you down from there, says the Lord. And so a second source of pride for the Edomites was not only their military, but the strategic uh, location that they had, uh, the terrain that they had. They uh, had these cities up on very, very high mountains and uh, cliffs that were kind of cliffs on three sides, and you could only come in from one side to defeat them. Easy to defend a city on one side and so forth. And so
so they took uh, confidence of the fact that we can't be beaten because of, uh, of, uh, of the strategic mountains and cliffs, uh, but none of this would uh, avail them at all. God says, if you find a, I don't know, um, you know, where the, an eagle finds this place to put a, a nest way up where no human being can get to. And God said, if you go and find a, a place to put yourself in there, I'm still going to find you and judge you. In other words, God is saying, there's no hiding place from my judgment. There's nowhere uh, you can go uh, to get away from that. It certainly reminds us of a greater judgment that's going to come upon the whole earth. It's known as the Great Tribulation uh, period. And in that time in human history, there will be no place to hide. Uh, from the judgment of God. Not in the heights, not in the depths, nowhere will a person be able to hide uh, from that uh, judgment. Edom's uh, judgment is going to leave all of the surrounding nations astonished. Verse 17, Edom uh, also shall be in astonishment. Uh, everyone who goes by it will be astonished and will hiss at its plagues as the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighbors, says the Lord. No one shall remain there, nor shall a son of man dwell in it. In other words, people looked at Edom before uh, God's judgment and said, There's, you know, nobody's ever going to beat them. Nobody's ever going to defeat them. I mean, look at their military. Look at the terrain that they have to defend. It's, it's impossible for anyone uh, to, to conquer them, and yet God uses Babylon to do uh, exactly that. I think it's important. I mean, we live in a nation where we have the greatest military in the entire world, by far, bar none. Uh, but uh, we've got to watch who and what we are morally and spiritually because our strength or the strength of any nation is not in our military or in our economy. It is in who we are morally. Uh, righteousness exalts a nation, and sin is a reproach to any people, uh, the Bible says. And so, we can get this confidence. Who could take us down? Who could, you know, pop us in the nose? Who could wipe us out? Uh, and that's why you, you never want to be on the wrong side of God uh, because as it shocked the entire world that the Edomites uh, ended up in the condition that they were in, any nation in the world can find themselves in the same place if they decide to take God on in a fight. Behold, he, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, he will come up like a lion from the floodplain of the Jordan. Now, I don't have any uh, experience with this. I've never been at the Jordan uh, in the floodplain and never seen a lion come out of the floodplain, but it's enough to know um, if, I, if I ever was there in the spring when the Jordan River was flooded and I came down to get a drink of water like you see on all these animal kingdom movies and here comes this animal to go get a drink of water and suddenly there's a lion and how does the gazelle do? Not very well. And, uh, and so, uh, we would have no hope in the face of, of a lion. And so, the imagery is, is that Edom will have uh, no more chance of withstanding the Babylonians than a, a gazelle in the face of a lion who is hungry and coming out of cover now uh, to satisfy its hunger. Uh, and so, this, like a lion against the dwelling place of the strong, but I will suddenly make him run away from her that is Edom, away from Babyl the Babylonian army, and who is a chosen man that I may appoint over her? For who is like thee? Who will arraign me? And who is that shepherd who will withstand me? 
And therefore, hear the counsel of the Lord that he has taken against Edom and his purposes that he has purposed against the inhabitants of Taman. Surely the least of the flock shall draw them out. Surely he that is God shall make their dwelling places desolate with them. Uh, The earth shakes at the noise of their fall, and the cry is... uh, At the cry, its noise is heard at the Red Sea. And behold, he shall come, God uh, in the person of, so to speak, of the Babylonian military shall come up and fly like an eagle and spread his wings over Basra. So the imagery changes from a lion uh, to an eagle. Uh, God, in in his judgment upon uh, Basra, again, one of the leading cities of uh, of, uh, Edom, the heart of the mighty men of Edom in that day will be like the heart of a woman in birth pangs. And so they will become uh, the the strongest, the bravest of of the warriors will become as incapacitated for war as, as any woman in the, in the middle of birth pangs would be incapacitated uh, to fight in, in a war uh, as well. And, and then we come in verse 23 to the prophecy against Damascus or against uh, Syria. Again, there's a biblical backstory here in all of this. Uh, Amos accused the uh, Syrians of treating the people of Gilead like uh, grain on the threshing floor, Amos chapter 1. And uh, so again, here we have a group of people uh, who had treated uh, the Jewish people very poorly and very, very unfairly. And God had taken note of it. It's one thing for God to discipline his children. It's another thing for God to give somebody else permission, as he did Nebuchadnezzar to discipline his children. It's another thing for someone to discipline his children who has not been given permission. Uh, if I was in, in, in when our, our girls were young and we would be in a restaurant and they might be, be uh, misbehaving, uh, it'd be one thing if they were misbehaving and I disciplined them. Uh, but uh, woe to the person who would come from another table and proceed to spank one of our daughters. You just don't get to do that. It's going to be a messy experience in the restaurant. And so, God, how much more than that? And so, picking on God's people, Christians today, the amount of Christian persecution that's going on in the world today, God takes note of all of it, and he remembers it, and he will uh, judge it, and, uh, and he will deal with it. And so, against Damascus, again, the capital of Syria, uh, even to this day, Hamath and Arpad are shamed. These were smaller uh, regions within uh, Syria at the time, for they have heard the bad news of the destruction of of Damascus. They are faint-hearted. There is trouble on the sea. It cannot be quiet. And so, uh, there is this panic uh, as they hear that they're being attacked by the Babylonian army. Uh, Damascus was not an insignificant city, uh, one of the oldest cities in, in the history of the world, if not the oldest city in the history of the world and uh, in existence today. And, uh, and so here they begin to get the news and the word begins to spread throughout all of Syria, what is happening, and everybody uh, freaks out. And the news begins to spread from Damascus 
all through the land of Syria until it comes to the cities that are on uh, the shore of, of the, uh, the Mediterranean Sea. Damascus has grown feeble. She turns to flee, and fear has seized her. Anguish and sorrows have taken her like a woman in uh, labor. Once again, the paralyzed by fear. Again, you're talking about uh, in, incredibly brave men. You're talking about well-trained men. You're talking about one of the great militaries in the ancient world having to do with Syria, and yet they come up against the Babylonians, and it's just like they absolutely melt in the face uh, of it and then start to flee uh, for their lives. Why is the city of praise speaking of Damascus, not deserted, the city of my joy. God uh, speaks of, uh, of them, why haven't you fled the city? Why haven't you abandoned the city in the face uh, of this judgment that's coming upon you? And uh, because the inhabitants of Damascus did not flee, uh, there would be a great slaughter, as he describes it in verse 26. Therefore, as a result of the failure to flee, her young men shall fall in her street, and all of the men of war shall be cut off in that day, says the Lord of hosts. I will kindle a fire in the wall of Damascus, and it shall consume uh, the palaces of Ben-Hadad. And Ben-Hadad, uh, that, uh, that was a fortified city where the kings uh, lived. And so, uh, the word of the Lord against Damascus. In verse 28 now, it is the prophecy against Kedar and uh, Hazor. And uh, Kedar and Hazor, they were nomadic tribes. Uh, they lived out in, in the desert, the wilderness area, uh, kind of between Israel. And then as you head off in that great desert towards Saudi Arabia and so forth, a great expanse. And they were kind of like the Bedouin today. They made a living out there. They were able to survive in, in those kind of uh, circumstances. Uh, the the uh, people of Kedar and Hazar, they were descendants of Ishmael, we know from Genesis 25. Remember, Ishmael uh, was the uh, son of the union between Abraham and, uh, Ish and uh, Hagar. And so, Ishmael was the product of that. Kedar and Hazar, these peoples, these desert-dwelling people, uh, they were kind of cousins to the Jews. It's interesting when you go to Israel today, and uh, usually you have uh, uh, Jewish men who are the, the guides, men and women, uh, mostly men who drive the buses and so forth. But you go to the various sites, and then you come uh, to the sites, and there are then also uh, the, uh, the Arabs who were there and are selling trinkets and doing all kinds of different things. And so, they will typically say, in order to get a little business on the bus, they will then say to the Jews, ah, cousin, cousin, can I talk to the people on your bus? And in a very technical sense, they are cousins. They're all, all of them descendants of Abraham, uh, but not of the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and, uh, and Jacob. And so, they were very, very wealthy 
uh, without any kind of enemies because they were out in the desert. Who would bother to go out into the desert to conquer them? And, uh, and yet, uh, God declares that they too would be uh, conquered by, uh, by Babylon. Again, it reminds me of kind of the judgment of the Great Tribulation where there will be no place to hide. These people would have, could have readily thought, listen, I mean, all of our idolatry, our sin, our, so, our rebellion against God and so forth, uh, nobody's, you know, in the grand scheme of things, we don't, we don't really account to much. We're out in the desert. Uh, if there's any kind of a judgment that occurs, we'll be overlooked or we'll be missed. And uh, it won't be the case. That judgment will fall on the entire earth, whether you're at the North Pole or the South Pole or in the middle of the Sahara Desert. Uh, there'll be no escape from it. And against Kedar and against the kingdoms of Hazor, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, shall strike. Thus says uh, the Lord. And so Babylon is going to strike them uh, at, at uh, God's instruction. Arise and go up to Kedar and uh, devastate the men of the east. Their tents and their flocks they shall take away. Thou shalt, they shall take them for themselves, uh, take for themselves their curtains, all their vessels and their camels, and they shall cry out to them, fear is on every side. So, the Babylonians would get kind of a little bit of different uh, spoil in spoiling these people. Normally, they'd go into a major city. There'd be silver and gold and so forth. And here with this nomadic people, they got curtains and vessels and camels and and so forth. But loot them, they did. Flee, get far away. Dwell in the depths, as God uh, informs the, the people of Kedar and Hazor that their only uh, hope was in fleeing. Flee, get far away. Dwell in the depths, O inhabitant of Hazor, uh, says the Lord. For Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has taken counsel against you and has conceived a plan against you. You mean he knows I exist? Yes, he knows that you exist. And arise, go up to the wealthy nation that dwells securely, says the Lord, which has neither gates nor bars, dwelling alone. And so again, uh, the Babylon is invited now to, uh, to, uh, to conquer this very nomadic people. They have no boundaries to their nation and so forth uh, as nomads, but they have tremendous wealth. Their camels shall be uh, for booty, and the multitude of their cattle for plunder. I will scatter to all winds those in the farthest corners, and I will bring their calamity from all sides, uh, says the Lord. Hazar will be a dwelling place for jackals, a desolation forever. Uh, no one shall reside there, nor uh, son of man uh, dwell in it. And so, uh, God uh, talks about the, the absolute uh, destruction and uh, the wiping out uh, of them. And then here is a prophecy that is uh, the word of the Lord uh, against Elam as we begin in verse 34. And Elam was located kind of east of Babylon, and it is what is we know as northern Iran uh, today, and it's the most uh, distant of all of the cities from Israel that is mentioned in this series of, of prophecies. And so, uh, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet against Elam at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will break the bow of Elam, uh, the foremost of their might. Uh, the, the kind of uh, great strength of their military was not ICBMs or anything like that. It was they had, uh, were known in the ancient world for their archers. 
And uh, so God says, I'm going to take you at your strength, and I'm going to break your military and the foremost of your might, your archers. Against Elam, I will bring the four winds from the four corners uh, of heaven and scatter them toward all those winds. There will be no nations where the outcasts of Elam will not go. Now, I don't know, if you, have you ever been in a storm that comes in from four sides? No, not really. Uh, if it comes in from one side, it's pretty bad. You get it from two sides like a nor'easter and they collide, that's real trouble. I don't know what it, it's like to have a storm come in from four sides. You'd have no hope of uh, standing against it at all. And that's how he describes the invasion uh, of the Babylonians, of of Elam here. In other words, escape would, escape would be uh, absolutely impossible. For I will cause Elam to be dismayed before their enemies and before those who seek their life. I will bring disaster on them, my fierce anger, says the Lord, and I will send the sword after them until I have consumed them. I will set my throne in Elam. And you think, oh, cool, God's going to set his throne in uh, Elam. The idea is that he's going to set his throne in Elam and supervise their destruction. Ah, okay. Don't like that one. Okay. Uh, that's a bad sign. And I will destroy uh, from there the king and the princes, says the Lord. But it shall come to pass in the latter days uh, that I will bring back the captives of Elam, uh, says the Lord. And so here we have uh, the promise of, of Elam coming back in the latter days of, of human history. This probably back into their land. It probably refers to like the Moabites and the Ammonites. God still knows who they are, though people don't uh, uh, identify themselves as Elamites uh, for the most part today. God knows who they are, and uh, probably this refers to the kingdom age or the thousand-year reign of Christ following uh, Jesus' second coming. And uh, again, you, it's a, a word of grace. And, and that his judgment is measured. He's always looking for a chance to uh, minister grace if he can. But these nations, one after another, had come to a place where uh, they hadn't allowed him uh, really to show much to them. But where he could, uh, he did show it. Uh, before we go into chapter 50, it's important to stop, and, and it'll be true of chapter 50 and 51 as well. But all of these prophecies uh, have uh, come to pass except for the handful of issues that still have a, f a future of fulfillment. And so, uh, we, uh, you know, we, we look at this, can look back again, the prophetic element of the Scriptures, and to realize that just as all of these things have come to pass uh, as they were prophesied, so too all that God says uh, related to prophecy that is yet in our future is going to come to pass uh, 100%. Uh, I think it's very, very good, at least it is for me, and I'll assume it's true of at least two of you uh, in the room here tonight, to realize as we look at God's judgment upon these nations, and, um, uh, and very easy to get access into some major kind of uh, library in the United States of America and uh, do some research of the history of these peoples and so forth to, to see what warrants judgment and, and so forth. But I, I would contend that the sins of our modern age are every bit as serious as anything they ever did. And I would say that in 2017, in uh, the world, uh, on planet Earth, 
today that these sins are just as prevalent as they were in those days, uh, perhaps even worse. Uh, you think about the sin of abortion. You think about the organ harvesting that's going on, where you have criminals being uh, put to death in certain parts of the world in order to provide their organs to uh, the wealthy around the world. We think about Christians who are being persecuted and imprisoned all over the world and never in greater numbers. Uh, than the day in which we live in, in the relative safety of the United States of America. And God notices all of that. You think about the drug cartels that dominate uh, not only entire nations, but enti entire continents within uh, the world today, and all of the murders and all of the violence, not just related to the drug trafficking, but just period uh, within life. Every week we hear something new about what's going on in Chicago. It's just one city in the United States. And I don't have the time to get into it, but the shedding of the blood of a single innocent person under the law of Moses required this great uh, investigation and then a sacrifice to be made so that the nation would never lose sight of the sanctity of life and that, uh, and that murder was never to become kind of an acceptable condition for any culture, any society. And it is that for us now. And it is that for the whole world. And then you think about the sexual immorality I go one website that I go on on a regular uh, basis for news and so forth. It seems as if every week they're talking about now uh, the sex dolls that are coming out, the robotics. I mean, uh, and, and uh, who's going to need a woman anymore? And, you, and here now you're going to have pornography on steroids. You aren't going to need anything on a, on a monitor in front of you or, or even the virtual reality. You'll be able to pick out exactly what you want, your dream, and have it there in your house. And I mean, this is, this is the world that we're in the middle of. And you think about what God sees going on in this world every single day to say nothing of the greatest sin that anyone can ever commit, and that is to poke him in the eye in the rejection of his son. Now, we, don't, we shouldn't read uh, uh, this section of Jeremiah and, and look at it and say, weren't those people awful? And judgment is, it could be very, very uh, far away from our nation or from our world uh, as, as well. Again, only God knows what he sees. The Bible says that everything is open and naked before him with whom we have to do. There are no closed doors. There are no drawn shades. There are no closets. There are nothing. He sees all of it all day, uh, every day. And who can wonder that uh, the judgment that God has promised to come upon the whole earth is uh, ultimately on its way? And who would want to face it? Who would want to be outside of Christ and, and come into contact uh, with it? We we come to chapter uh, 50, and here is his uh, two-chapter uh, prophecy of judgment against Babylon. Babylon made a very serious mistake as a world-ruling empire. They were a hammer in God's hands. He used them as his instrument of judgment in the ancient world. Uh, but they got uh, cocky in, in that. And, uh, and the, the great mistake that they made was that when God used them to judge his people, to judge the people of Judah, that they did judge uh, the, the southern kingdom of Judah, but they went too far. And uh, they overstepped the bounds of where, what God wanted them to do, and they, took, uh, they were much more violent than they were intended to be and much more cruel in the treatment of, 
of God's people. And so God uh, took note of all of that, and he pronounces his judgment against Babylon and for their own idolatry and wickedness and, and all uh, as well. The prophecies that are, are in these two chapters, they have a, uh, for the, a, a near fulfillment in that the Babylonians, we know historically, were conquered by the Medes and the Persians, uh, but there are, are some aspects of the prophecies that are given to us here that are going to have uh, their complete fulfillment uh, in the future. And, uh, uh, and, and so we'll make note of those as we go through. And so the word that the Lord spoke against Babylon and against uh, the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet, declare among the nations, proclaim and set up a standard. Proclaim, do not conceal it. Say, Babylon is taken. Bel is shamed. Uh, Bel was one of her gods. Merodach is broken in pieces, another of her principal gods. Her idols are humiliated. Her images, again, uh, idolatrous images, are broken in pieces. And so, uh, God declares he's going to judge Babylon and that their gods will uh, be powerless to protect them in any way. For out of the north a nation comes against her, which shall uh, make her land desolate, and no one shall dwell therein. They shall uh, move, uh, they shall depart both man and beast. And so the prophecy made well before all of these events occurred in human history that Babylon would be judged, they would fall, the invasion would come from her north, and we know uh, from history that the Medes and the Persians came from the north and in their uh, conquering of Babylon and of, uh, of the city of Babylon as well. And in those days and at that time, says the Lord, the children of Israel shall come, and the, they and the children of Judah together, with continual weeping, they shall come and seek the Lord their God. So, the result of the fall and, and the destruction, uh, overthrow of the Babylonian empire would be that it would give opportunity for the Jewish people to escape the Babylonian captivity and make their way back into the land of Israel. It is important, and I, I really exhort myself, I was thinking a little bit about this this afternoon, that when we see uh, these kind of shaking and moving in terms of, of human history, I think Samaritan's Purse is right on in, in this regard, but other Christian ministries are as well, that so often you can see something happen, and whether it's God's judgment or it isn't His judgment, a great shaking occurs somewhere within the world. And so often the entire world is gripped by just the circumstances that are going on before our eyes, but very often in that very circumstance, if we don't get paralyzed by it, we see the bigger picture, it's an opportunity for something good to happen. And, uh, and here, this, this great destruction of the Babylon, Babylonian empire, but there was a silver lining to it. There was something uh, good about it, that God was working it together for good, and that the Jews would be released from their captivity. You remember that it was the custom of the Assyrians when they would conquer, they were before the Babylonian empire when they conquered the world, they would simply uh, displace the native populations. They wouldn't take them all captive to Assyria, but they would take and conquer one part of the world and move those people to the land of Israel, take the Jews and move them to another place, and it kept the population uh, destabilized and decentralized, and it was easier to, 
to rule. The Babylonians didn't operate that way. They did take the best among the peoples, uh, or they, uh, I'm sorry, I've got this backwards, but, but the Babylonians would come in as they did with, the, 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 uh, with Jerusalem and with Judah, take these people captive from all over the world and take them into the Babylonian Empire, into Babylon itself, and, and here is the opportunity uh, now when she falls for all of those people, including the Jews, to return back to the land. And they shall ask the way to Zion. Imagine the Jews. I mean, it's everybody else is like mourning the falling of Babylon, and the Jews are saying, all right, where's the sign for Zion? How do I get back to uh, Jerusalem? With their faces turned toward it, saying, come and let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. Again, by the time the Jews got done with their 70 years of captivity in, in the, uh, their Babylonian captivity, they were cured of their idolatry. And so when it talks about them saying, how do we get back into the land? How is it that we... Um, get back and join ourselves in perpetual covenant to God. They, they, they are now uh, love the Lord. They long for a second chance from God, and they're eager to, to make the most of that, that opportunity. Uh, and, and, and it's a mark of their full repentance that they'd learned the lesson of the captivity. And then God uh, declares a, a special judgment upon the leaders of uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, when they went in into captivity uh, to the Assyrians and, and Babylonians, respectively, uh, the place that the leaders played and all of that. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill, and they have forgotten their resting place. And all who found them have devoured them, and their adversaries said, we have not offended uh, because they have sinned against the Lord, the, uh, the habitation of justice, the Lord, uh, the hope of their fathers. And this was the mistake that the Babylonians made and the other nations made as well. They saw that God was judging his people. But again, it's a different thing for a father to spank their own children and another thing for you to get in line and then uh, begin to do that. And that's exactly what they did. And God, uh, again, as we've seen earlier in the book, he really spoke of a special judgment for the responsibility of the leaders of the Jewish people uh, to, uh, not to have led them better in a more godly, righteous fashion. They were responsible for their captivity. They were responsible for their sin, but it does give an indication that if they'd had proper uh, leadership, uh, things might have, uh, might have changed. And, uh, and here he speaks of uh, the, the level of destruction that is going to come uh, to Babylon. Move, God says to his people, from the midst of Babylon. Get out. Go out from the of the land of the Chaldeans and be like uh, the rams before the flocks. Now, that's an interesting kind of thing. All right. So, that's my, that is my command to you tonight. Be uh, as like rams before the flocks. And we walk out and go, what in the world does does that mean? Uh, do we play bumper car with our cars out there before we leave the parking lot? Now, when you would have a, a herd or something that was going to begin to go in a particular direction, the rams would always go to the front and, uh, and then uh, make their way. And so, he's telling his people, when the opportunity comes, 
to be freed of, of this captivity in Babylon. Uh, don't wait for the Ammonites. Don't wait for the Edomites. Don't wait for any of the other ites that have been taken captive uh, with the rest of the world to lead the way. You lead the way. You get out of there and get back. Uh, use this opportunity to get back to the land of Israel. For behold, I will raise up and cause to come uh, against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the north country, and they shall array against her, and from there she shall be captured. Again, uh, the Babylon was conquered by uh, two kingdoms that came together for that purpose, along with smaller kingdoms that had joined them, uh, the kingdom of the Medes and then the kingdom of the Persians. God speaks of the fact that it would be a confederate of nations uh, that would defeat her. Again, we look back 2020, side, uh, 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 2020 hindsight of history, and so there's no wow factor for us. But these prophecies were given to them long before any of these things happened, and, and at a time where uh, the, the uh, Babylon and the Babylonian Empire looked like it would go on for hundreds of years. And so these prophecies were amazing at the time that they were given. And, and so their arrows shall be like those of an expert warrior. Uh, none of them shall return in vain. And so to be an ex expert archer in the old days, uh, this was the equivalent of uh, what we call snipers today. They, these guys are going to come in and they're going to take care of business. And Chaldea shall become plunder. All who plunder her shall be satisfied uh, to to, you can imagine is really the wealth of the entire ancient world was gathered in the city of Babylon. It was one of the wonders of the ancient world. And the Medes and the Persians come in and conquer it, and you've got more wealth than you know what to do with there. I mean, you can't have more gold than that. They could spread it out to everyone who was a part of the army or part of the confederation of the nations, and there'd be plenty of plunder for all. And then here, uh, God gives uh, one of the reasons for her judgment in verse uh, 11. It was her cruelty toward uh, his people. Because you were glad, uh, because you rejoiced, you destroyers of my heritage, speaking of the Jews, because you have grown fat like a heifer, uh, threshing grain, and you bellow uh, like bulls. It, it is... Um, Again, God desired to use Babylon. It was his intention to use them to chasten, chasten his, his people. But again, they went too far, and they enjoyed it too much. Uh, when, I, when I read this section uh, of the Bible, there's a verse that comes to mind over and over and over again. You might put it in your notes. It's Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. And, and, it, and it speaks to us as Christians, and it, and it declares, brethren... If a man is overtaken in any trespass, wrongdoing before God, you who are spiritual, that is under the control of the Spirit, restore such a one. That's the attitude. It's an attitude of restoration. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. 
There may be times in our lives as Christians where God will use us to speak into the life of a Christian who is uh, going sideways or backslidden or in willful rebellion against God or even in the place that uh, the, uh, the children of Israel and Judah uh, were in. But if we go in not under the control of the Holy Spirit, but we're ticked off and we're all upset and we're going to go in there and set them straight and, and the whole deal, we'll end up doing more harm than good. We will go way beyond what God wants us to do in that situation, and then now God has to deal with us. And so it's a great, a great lesson. It is an in, incredible responsibility when God uses a Christian, and he has to use many Christians in this capacity, uh, to confront related to sin and, and to call to repentance. But this is the attitude that is uh, to, to be there. And never, uh, no one needs to hear that more uh, than the pastor, than, than the preacher uh, speaking from uh, behind a pulpit uh, as well. But God puts his finger on uh, what was, uh, was the cause, uh, uh, one of the causes for their, their judgment. Your mother shall be deeply ashamed. Uh, your mother speaks of the city of Babylon itself, which gave birth to uh, Babylon's armies and also directed her armies. She who bore you shall be ashamed. Behold, the least of the nations shall be uh, a wilderness, a, a dry land, and a desert. Because of the wrath of the Lord, she shall not be inhabited, but she shall be wholly desolate. Everyone who goes by Babylon shall be horrified and hiss at all of her plagues. And so, uh, the, this is one of those passages that we look at and realize this has a future fulfillment related to Babylon. When the city of Babylon in the Babylonian Empire fell under the Medes and the Persians, what uh, Cyrus did in leading that battle against them is he, uh, while the Babylonians thought nobody can ever come into our city, uh, remember the, the city of Babylon sat out on an absolute flat plain. And, uh, and its walls, and you could do chariot rides, something like six or seven chariots wide. That was how thick the walls were, and the walls were as high as a 25-story building. And the gates were all of bronze. Nobody could get through those gates with fire or anything. They thought, nobody can take us, even the armies of the Medes and the Persians, outside of our gates. But Cyrus took as the city was built upon uh, the Euphrates River there, he took and he built canals to divert, divert the river so that uh, the river went down low enough that he could get military personnel uh, underneath the gates that were located uh, where uh, the water was and then open up the gates to the army coming in. Uh, the, the conquest of, of Babylon, the, the city, was uh, very, very swift. And in fact, it took them by such surprise that when uh, King Belshazzar was uh, defeated here in all of this, and his palace and, and the whole ruling party of, of the city of Babylon, it took days for the rest of the city to find out they'd been conquered by the Medes and the Persians. That was the size of, of the city and the cockiness uh, of, of the city. And, uh, and yet, as we read here about a destruction in terms of them being wholly desolate. That did not happen at that time. This has a future fulfillment. One of the interesting things to study, by the way, if you're that kind of person, and not everybody is that kind of person, 
is when, when you look at this and you realize in terms of Babylon and the prophecies that are given concerning Babylonian, uh, Babylon's destruction, interesting, you know, Babylon has been rebuilt and is continuing to be uh, built as a modern city uh, today. But when you go into the book of Revelation, I think it's chapters 17 and 18, where you have commercial Babylon and spiritual Babylon, both of which are going to be destroyed by the Lord in the tribulation period. Here you see a prophecy that's been given that wasn't fulfilled in the, uh, the conquest under Cyrus, and then to try and put how all of that is going uh, to come together. Lots of people work at it. I look at it, and, and um, I don't know everything that there is to know about what might happen in the tribulation period concerning uh, the, the judgment of commercial Babylon and spiritual Babylon in the world during that, that period, how it ties to this, but somehow it will all wrap up uh, very, very neatly. Put yourself in array against uh, Babylon all around, and uh, uh, all you who bend the bow, shoot at her, spare no arrows, for she has sinned against the Lord. Shout ag against her all around. She has given her hand, her, foundation, her foundations have fallen her walls are thrown down, for this is the vengeance of the Lord. Take vengeance upon her as she has done, so do to her. And so, again, this describes a future judgment that is going to come upon Babylon. Cut off the sower from Babylon and him who handles the sickle at harvest time. For fear of the oppressing sword, everyone shall turn to his own people, and everyone shall flee to his own land. Again, all of these people that had been taken captive into uh, Babylonian empire, now is their chance to return to their native lands. Israel uh, is like a scattered, uh, Israel is like scattered sheep. The lions have driven them away. First the king of Assyria devoured the northern kingdom of Israel. And now at last, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has broken his bones, speaking of, of the southern kingdom uh, of, uh, of, of Judah. And, and so here, uh, Babylon's uh, future, God is saying, is going to uh, have judgment, and Israel's future is going to mean a restoration. And therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will punish the king of Babylon and his land as I have punished the king of Assyria, but I will bring back Israel to his home, and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan, beautiful parts of Israel. His soul shall be satisfied on Mount Ephraim and Gilead. You can imagine these beautiful parts of Israel. They return to that land. God is saying, the future is with my people. It is not with Babylon. And in those days and at that time, says the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought, but there shall be none, uh, the sins of Judah, but they shall not be found, for I will pardon those uh, whom I uh, preserve. And so, uh, when they come back into the land, they'll be given a fresh start. And somebody might complain to God. God anticipates the complaint. Remember all of the idolatry? Remember that what they did with their children? Do you remember what they did to your honor and your glory and your witness in the world and all? And then now they come back into the land and they're going to throw like the devil does the sins of, of the Jewish people to God. And God says, I, can't, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, it's not going to be remembered anymore. And, of course, it reminds us of uh, the famous uh, bar, uh, Christian bar of soap in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, no matter what those sins are. 
and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God loves to give a fresh start, and uh, this is the kind of the speech that he can give to the devil when the devil comes and says, don't you remember? And uh, he says, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought, uh, but there shall uh, not be none. The sin of Judah, but they shall not be found. And how much more uh, related to the blood of Christ and our faith in him. Go up against the land of uh, Marathaim, uh, against it and uh, against the inhabitants of Pecod. Waste and, utter uh, waste and utterly destroy them, says the Lord, and do according to all that I have uh, commanded you. A sound, uh, a sound of battle is in the land and of great destruction. And so here God is speaking of the destruction upon Babylon, how the hammer of the whole world has been cut apart and broken. God used her as an instrument of judgment. Now that uh, she is falling apart herself, how Babylon has become a desolation among the nations. I have laid a snare for you. Uh, you have indeed been trapped, O Babylon, and you are not aware. You have been found and also caught. Again, she thought she was invincible. Uh, she was about to be trapped by God and had no idea that she was in that trap because you have contended against the Lord. And that was uh, the, the, uh, one of her sins uh, against, the, uh, against the Lord. She had taken, uh, the, uh, she, she was vile in the eyes of the Lord as well, but again, taking his judgment, misrepresenting him in his judgment. Uh, the Lord has opened his armory. He's brought out uh, the weapons of his indignation. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to uh, somebody's house that's really into guns, and they go over to their safe, and their second safe, and their third safe, and they open them up, and they show you the entire armory, and you go, wow, do you like me? Uh, my, what are you feeling about me right now? I think I've shot a gun, you know, a handful of times in my life, and uh, but I've got this down really good. If you ever got close, poke them in both eyes and woo-woo, you know. Uh, I've watched my television growing up as a child. And, uh, but, but imagine what the armory of the Lord must look like. And so he says, bring all of them out in his indignation, for this is the work of the Lord God of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. Come against her from the farthest border, open her storehouses, cast her, uh, her up as heaps of ruins, and destroy her utterly. Let nothing be left of her. Slay all of her bulls, speaking of her young warriors her strength. Let them go down to the slaughter. Woe to them, for their day has come, uh, for their day has come, the day of their punishment. The voice of those who flee and escape from the land of Babylon declares uh, in Zion the vengeance of the Lord our God, the vengeance of his temple. And this speaks in verse 28 of the Jews who escape the Babylonian captivity. They uh, flee back to the land of Israel, and they give the news of the fall of Babylon, that God has done it, and that God has done it in vengeance for his, uh, for his uh, temple. And call together the archers uh, against Babylon, all you who bend the bow, and camp against it all around. Let none of them escape. Repay her according to her work, according to all that she has done. Do to her, for she has been proud against the Lord, against the Holy One of Israel. And therefore her young men shall fall in the streets, and all her men of war shall be cut off in that day, says the Lord. Behold, I am against you, O most haughty one, says the Lord God of hosts. Again, her pride and 
overstepping her place. For your day has come, the time that I will punish you. The most uh, proud shall stumble and fall, and no one shall uh, raise him up. I will, I will kindle a fire in his cities, and it will devour all around him. So we'll stop there, and we'll pick it up in verse 33 and look to attempt to uh, finish the book uh, uh, next, uh, next time we're together, uh, and, but we'll, we'll stop uh, pretty closely here on time uh, today. You know, when you read 